Anybody glad to be in the house of the Lord? You know, the Bible says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Didn't say I was sad. Didn't say I was mad. It said I was glad. Okay, so tell your face, I'm glad to be in the house of the Lord today. <laughs> Can you turn to your neighbor and say, get ready, get ready, get ready. We're getting ready to hear the word, and, uh, and I want you to get excited about it. Amen? Before we get into our new series, by the way, I'm Pastor Derek. I, obviously, that was... The announcement, I like to say I'm the lead servant here at Connect, and I'm so glad uh, that you're in church. If this is your first experience, uh, welcome, welcome to our house. Our house is your house, and uh, we're so glad you're in church with us, especially today. It's going to be just right on target, just for you. I believe God has a word for, for you and for all of us. Amen? A uh, little update for those of you who are part of our church family. Last week, uh, we had a special experience. We call it the Legacy Offering. Uh, in our church, we don't pass a plate. We don't uh, take offerings. In fact, uh, we only do that once a year. And uh, so this legacy offering is dedicated to accelerating the vision of Connect in five particular areas. All of these areas are things that we're, uh, we're going to do. Uh, we can just do them faster with, uh, with the sacrificial giving of the, the members and contributors to this church. And first, I want to say, before I announce uh, how much uh, came in up to date, um, I want to say that what I'm most proud of um, is, I, I don't know how to say it, but you get it. You get giving. I'm so proud of our church because this was not a business transaction. Uh, many of you, when you were presenting your commitments in the worship experience, you weren't putting like an envelope in like a mailbox. Uh, you were putting a sacrifice of gratitude uh, into that box. You, it was an expression of love and gratitude. And many people got extremely emotional uh, during this experience because you were reflecting on the goodness of God, as the Bible says, in the land of the living. You were looking at it through the lens of the woman with the alabaster jar. You were so grateful because of what God had done for you. You wanted to give something back. And it was just powerful. It was powerful for me. I lost, The first service, I was able to make it through because I, I kind of had to giddy up because I wanted to say what I needed to say. The second service, I kind of lose it a little bit because I'm almost done. And I just, I was undone over there just thinking about how good God has been to my wife and I and to our family, to our church. It was an amazing, amazing experience. So, so proud of you. And I'm, I'm grateful that some of you guys were able to experience the joy of giving. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Can I have an amen? Jesus said that and he was right. Amen. But anyway, last week uh, in that in that offering, and a little bit came in before from our legacy, a lot came in actually from our legacy team. Uh, those are people that really know this is their gift. So we have legacy dream team. It's like the worship team. We have people that love to give, and so we give them a chance to give early. Uh, but between the legacy team and the offering and the experience, $284,000 came in. That's two, eight, four, and three zeros. <laughs> So God is good. All of that will be used to the vision of Connect. And, um, you know, if you see me at Christmas time in the South, I paid for that with my own money, okay? I just want you guys to know about that. <laughs> I got to get that out of there early, okay? I'm, I'm balling on a budget, all right, everybody? Anyway, will you stand to your feet real quick? I'm going to read the scripture. The only reason I'm having you stand up is because we're reading the Word of God. Can we honor the Word of God by standing? And I was like, Lord, have mercy. Can I just sit down and be comfortable? We're reading the Word of God. This is Luke chapter 18, verse 1. It says, then Jesus, everybody say Jesus. Jesus. He used this story to teach his followers. So 
God will use stories to inspire us and to teach us and to instruct us. And we're going to talk about uh, some story today. But he used stories to teach his followers that they should always pray and never lose hope. Today's series is the kickstart of, of, of a whole, a, just a whole topic of hope, the thrill of hope. For some people, it's not a thrill of hope. For some people, it's different. It's very different in this season. But today is going to be a new day for many of you. You may be seated. God bless you. Thank you, my brother. During the holidays, um, it's interesting, we, uh, we hear songs, you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year, right? And for some people, maybe, maybe, but I, I found, I've noticed, I've observed that a lot of people, it's not the most wonderful time of the year. Sometimes it's a very sad time, very difficult time. I don't know if it's always statistically increased, but it feels like an increase uh, in, in difficulties, in, in, in calamity and tragedy, and in sickness issues, and, and loss. Seems like every time I turn around, somebody's suffering a loss, loss of a dream, loss of a business, loss of a marriage, loss uh, of a loved one. Um, it seems to be high in this particular time. And I would say on top of that increase, not only that, but I feel like people feel it more during this season. During the holidays, those pains are more felt. And it can produce, uh, for some, uh, a sense of hopelessness. A sense of hopelessness. This particular message is dedicated to a, a friend of mine. I'm not going to say his name, but you know who you are. And he was telling me uh, recently, kind of sent a little lifeline to me. You know, he's, he was struggling with hopelessness. Uh, many years ago, he was married, and his wife uh, contracted cancer, and the cancer took her life. And after that, uh, he went into a dark place, uh, kind of walked away from the Lord for a season, um, kind of surrendered to the world's way of medicating your pain. And through a series of things, he kind of started to come back from that place, that dark place, met a wonderful woman, remarried, but recently he told me the same disease that took his first wife looks like it could take, hasn't, could take his second wife. And he's afraid and he's concerned and he's feeling, he's feeling hopeless. This is dedicated to you, my friend. You know, every year, just as a point of transition, because I need sometimes, the swings of emotion, they're not just hard for you, they're hard for me. Every year around this time, and I just was watching a bunch of clips of it this week, I watch the movie called It's a Wonderful Life. Has anybody ever watched It's a Wonderful Life? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you watched it. Thank God some of you have watched that, okay? The first service was like 70%. This service is like 15%. My family doesn't like this movie. Nobody, they don't watch this movie with me. I feel, I feel alone every year at this time. And I'm like, I'm watching it whether they watch it with me or not. But this is an incredible classic, okay? And I'm just going to give you the, the cliff notes on it for some of you. Clearly have not watched this incredible movie. And, uh, but it, it's, it's about this man named George Bailey. And, and George, um, he's, he's in a dark place. And he is, he's, he's, He's thinking how sad he is, and he feels hopeless. In fact, he's considering taking his own life. And in the middle of that uh, moment, uh, God, in a sense, drops an angel from heaven 
splashes right in front of him into the water. And this particular angel's name is Clarence. Clarence is a second-class angel, and second-class angels don't have their wings. They have to earn their wings. And so this angel falls into the water, and George, in his situation, kind of shook out of it, and he dives into the water to save Clarence, an angel. But in essence, while he's saving the angel, the angel is saving him. In fact, George thought, I saved you, but the angel basically said, Clarence said to him, no, I saved you. But before this whole thing happened, it's amazing, when, they were in when Clarence was in heaven, the superior angel, the angel, you know, kind of the larger in charge, probably an archangel of some sort, says to Clarence, I have an assignment for you. I'm giving you this assignment to be the guardian angel for this man named George. And Clarence says to the superior angel, why is he sick? And the superior angel says, no, He's not sick. He's discouraged. He's discouraged. And I'm not going to minimize today physical sickness or anything like that. But I want to suggest to you that the worst kind of sickness is the sickness of the soul. Hopelessness is the worst kind of sickness of all. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, hope deferred. In other words, something you wanted, something you were planning for, something you prepared for that you thought was going to happen didn't happen. Hope deferred makes the heart, what? It makes it sick. It makes it sick. I think hopelessness is worst kind of sickness of all, worse than physical sickness. And so we're starting a series on hope. And today I want to talk about, first of all, uh, what hope is. And then how do you find it? How do you get it? How do you acquire it? We're going to get a little practical with this concept that sometimes seems so ethereal and, and mystical in nature. Because this particular word, hope, is so critical. And if you had this thing called hope, if you could acquire this thing called hope, if you could grasp this thing called hope, then no matter what's going on around you, you'd be okay. Can I have a better amen from this church? I think some of you are like in an oh me moment, but... In other words, I, I, I said this a little bit last week, but because I don't put my hope in government, because I don't put my hope in my paycheck, because I don't put my hope in what's happening here circumstantially, I have a different kind of confidence. I can breathe easier when the stock market is going down because my hope is not placed in that. Are you with me? And that's with your resources, but it can also be true in your relationship difficulties and trials and tribulations in your life. You, whatever area of human endeavor that you are facing where there's difficulty, you can still have hope in the middle of that. And some of you might like, I don't have any hopelessness in my life. Well, that's good. Praise God for that. Someday you're going to be challenged by uh, certain situations, and you're going to need this message. Okay? I just want you to know that. But let me just talk about some symptoms of hopelessness so you kind of can place yourself. And I think these kind of increase or escalate as we go along. A first, a symptom of hopelessness would be you feel disoriented disoriented. You don't know where you are. You're kind of lost. It's interesting that a person um, on the outside can see somebody who's going through that better than the person who's going through that. Like you can tell that person is just lost. That person is clearly confused. That person is clearly uh, disoriented. And, 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 and sometimes you just can't see it. You don't know that's happening because you're, you're on the outside and they're on the inside of it. That disorientation is taking them over. My friends in the South say sometimes they have this phrase. They say, you don't know, you don't know the difference between come here and sick them. That's what they say to the dogs. 
You don't know the difference between come here, sick them, you know? You'll see a dog, they get confused by that. That's how people who are disoriented uh, kind of feel. And, and as a result, you experience this hopelessness. And there's a man in the Bible, an example of the Bible, uh, the man's name is Job, okay? So if you look in your Bible and you're looking for a job, that's not the book that you should be reading, okay? <laughs> you're not going to find a job there. You're going to find Job there. Anyway, Job, in this particular uh, example in the scriptures, the context of this verse I'm going to read, he's in a really dark place. Uh, he's got these clay, kind of like rocks, uh, and he's scraping his face with them. And the Bible says that he's, he's laying down on a bed of ashes. And, he's, and he says this. He says in verse 15 of Job 17, Where then is my hope? Who can see any hope for me? He can't find it, everybody. He's completely disoriented. And all of us experience situations like this. I remember many years ago, my wife and I were on a cruise um, suffering for Jesus with our friends, uh, Mike and Danell. Um, and Michael was, uh, he was a scuba certified uh, guy, and I wasn't. And we wanted to go on this excursion. The girls wouldn't go because it's too cold. Too cold. We're in the Caribbean, ladies. It's too cold, whatever. So they didn't want to go out to sea with us. They stayed on the shore, probably wisely. But in any event, Michael and I get on this excursion. We go out in this boat. And as we're, we're, we're going out, they say, hey, we're going to go out pretty far. And we're like, what does that mean? Like, well, you're not going to see the land. I'm like, oh, okay. And I didn't see the significance of that at the time. And so we're going out into the Great Barrier Reef of Mexico. <laughs> okay, so don't. Don't read into that too much. It's actually pretty amazing. And so anyway, we get out there, and we're in this group, and they're giving all these instructions. You know, they're telling us signs and signals if you get in trouble, and if you see one of these, this is what happens. And they're making jokes about it. I'm like, it's not funny. We don't joke about sharks when we're out here in the middle of the ocean, but they were doing it anyway. And we end up, we end up getting in the water, and my friend takes off because he's totally comfortable in this environment, and he's breaking all the rules. He's literally going down like 40 feet with a snorkel, and he's coming up, and he's seeing, did you see that? I'm like, what? He goes, there was a barracuda right below you. Ah! You know, and what? I'm still above water, you know. You know, just, he's all over the place. Finally, I start getting some confidence. We're having a blast. The whole group's all over the place, spread out like a dog's breakfast. Then the instructor says, time to go. It's time to go. So we all start rallying, and we come up, and he's like, come on, we got to go. And he's going one way. I'm like, no, 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 it's that way. And then another guy goes, no, 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 it's that way. And we all start arguing about which way is the way back. Because we were all disoriented. And finally, we're just getting so upset. And the guy's like, it's that way. I'm like, no, it's not. He goes, yes, it is. I have a GPS. We're like, okay, follow that guy, you know. <laughs> but the point is, when you get away from something solid, when you get away from something fixed, you can begin to feel hopeless and disoriented. Amen. I'm one of these weird guys that, I, I, if you saw my, most of what I watch is YouTube. I'm a, I'm a YouTube crazy, and I like to learn stuff. I'm always trying to, so if you saw my feed, it's, it's, it's always some kind of point of interest, trying to learn something. And I was, one time, uh, and then I do a lot of, I watch a lot of arm wrestling. So anyway, it's just a weird little hobby. I didn't say that in the first service, but. Um, just weird moments that come into my head. So I'm, I'm watching, uh, I want to go into that, but I could do a whole documentary on arm wrestling. But anyway, um, but I'm watching this uh, avalanche documentary, like how to survive an avalanche. 
So, like, if you ever get in a weird situation, just ask me. I'm probably going to know something about it, okay, because I study those weird things. So if you, get, if you get buried in an avalanche, a lot of people, interestingly enough, they're only, like, literally a few feet from the surface, and they end up dying. They, they, they're hopelessly lost and disoriented. And so if you ever get in that situation, you just got to dig a little bit, you know, around your face, good, like, couple feet, and then you spit. And if the spit comes back on your face, dig that direction. Okay, this has nothing to do with my message, but I want you to know how to get out of an avalanche. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Another symptom of hopelessness. Watch the segue here. Drifting. Drifting. Snow drifts. All right. Anyway, you didn't see that. Drifting. All right. You might be. In other words, you might be far away from where you should be. And sometimes people are consciously doing this. Sometimes people are unconsciously doing this. Interestingly enough, you could be here right now. You're here, but you're not here. You are consciously drifting away from the Lord. Because maybe your hope has been deferred. Things are not going the way you want to. You're kind of going through the motions. There's a certain like routine that you're in, but there's no relationship as a byproduct. You are consciously Drifting. Now, some people are unconsciously drifting. They don't see it. They can't perceive that they are pulling away from God, maybe because they're violating or, or not taking, uh, paying attention uh, to the way they should. They, they're not fixing their eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. When my, when, when my family, uh, when I was just a kid in my family, uh, under my father and mother, we would always go to the same place in the summer for vacation. And actually, we ended up going there for almost 40 years. And I can remember learning how to body surf. And my parents were a little concerned because certain times of the year, the waves were kind of big. So they would get close to the shore, and they would watch us. they say, kids, just stay within you know, this range right here. But because of the way the waves hit, we would systematically begin to drift. And I can remember coming up out of the water, and I think, why are mom and dad moving? <laughs> get over here. Like... Why are you got, where are you going? Why do they keep moving? And the reality is they weren't moving. I was moving. I, I began to drift, and people can begin to drift. Look what the Bible says about this, because we're all susceptible to this. Isaiah 53, 6 says, all of us, everybody say all of us. All of us. Or as my wife would say, y'all, all of us, all y'all, have strayed away like sheep. So we all are susceptible to drifting. The Bible says in another way, you could say, if you think you're standing firm, be careful lest you fall. So in other words, you think you're fixed all the time? That's why we have to stay in a God-dependent relationship because life is motion. We're not just staying in the same place. None of you are treading water forever. You're either going forwards or you're going backwards, everybody, okay? All of us have strayed like sheep. We have left God's path to follow our own. I underlined in my, in my notes this word, our own, because basically that's saying we're taking ownership. The reason sometimes we get into a, a, a drifting position, we get into a, 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 an emotion, a feeling, a, a reality of hopelessness is because we take God out of the equation and we take everything back. It's as if, it's like in your life you have like a chair or you could say like a throne, there's somebody that's large and in charge of your life. Christ wants to be on the throne of your life. Amen. But a lot of times, we, we, even though we gave Jesus our heart, even though we gave Jesus, uh, our, we transferred our trust, 
uh, in, in, to, to him and our eternal security is based on what he did for us as Savior, we often remove him as Lord of our life, large and in charge of our life. And in essence, we're like, I see you on the chair, boom, move over. I'm going to take ownership of my life now. I'm large and in charge. And when we do that, you drift. You drift. You get in trouble. Are you with me? So we got to put God back on the throne of our life. And that's why we come to church sometimes. That's why you get into small groups. That's why you get to have relationships to help you see what you cannot see when you drift. Do you have somebody in your life that can kind of stick their finger in your eye figuratively and say, hey, I think you're a little bit off here. My, my father used to use that word. He's off. He's off. We all knew in our family what he meant. They're, they've drifted. They've drifted. Who, who, who can tell you? You're a little off. Just a thought. Here's another symptom of hopelessness. This is the worst one of all, and that is despair. Everybody say despair. despair. This is where you just, you're, you're living, but you're walking dead. You're resigned. You're, you're tired to the point of, you're, or you're, I'm sick of it. You're done. Fill in the blank. Here's what's interesting. The Bible addresses this. And it doesn't just come through somebody who's weak spiritually. It comes through one of the strongest Christians in all of the Bible, the Apostle Paul. And I think it's there for our identification and for our instruction. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8, he said, Hey, I don't want you to be uninformed, family, about the troubles that I experienced and we experienced. We were under great pressure. When you feel hopeless, it's because you're under a lot of pressure. Real or felt? Perceived or Real. It's, there's a pressure there. And he said, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. He's basically saying we felt like checking out. And so it's understandable that these things can happen. I remember watching, and I think it was 2014, at Christmas time, this incredible movie came out based on a book I had read. My daughter was reading it too. It was called Unbroken. Incredible, incredible, incredible book. Louis Zamperlini, he was a, uh, I think that's how you say his name, but he was an Olympian runner. He was also a World War II POW. Amazing. What's not often told in the movie was he gave his life to Jesus in a Billy Graham crusade. He was saved. He was, a, he was a Christ follower. He was a believer. He was a praying man. In fact, when he was out at sea, lost at sea for 47 days. I mean, that's bad enough, but then he was captured and he was taken into a Japanese prison camp for over two years, and you guys, if you've never seen the story, you got to see just the absolute strength of character of this particular individual. It was just amazing. But he prayed a classic prayer that some of us have prayed, some of us more as a gamble, some of us more as like, you know, we hope uh, we're doing this just so that we can get what we want. But he prayed a prayer. He said, if you get me through this, God, I will serve you all the days of my life. He did something some people don't do. He actually not only got out of it, but he did dedicate his life to God the rest of his life. He even went back to the people who had punished him, and he, he, he forgave them to their face, and he shared the redemptive love of Jesus Christ with each and every one of them. What an incredible story. But life can lead us through these different things, despair, drifting, things like that. And, and, and it's not always so positive. So, you may think this message isn't that positive. And, and the truth is, I'm positive <laughs> that you are going to experience some things like this at some point in your life. God never promised us a rose garden. He said, in this world, John 16, 33, you will have trials, tribulations, tests of many kinds. Take courage, he said. 
I'm going to help you through it. And I, one of the ways he helps us through it is by providing hope in the middle of hopeless situations. In fact, this is where I want to go. This is what I want our church to be known as. I want to be known as a bunch of hope dealers. That's what the Bible says. We comfort those with the comfort we ourselves have received from God because he brought me through a situation. He can bring you through a situation. And you might be able to minister and administer the smallest portions of hope. And it does so much for an individual. More than you could possibly imagine. Might even save a life. Amen. I told this story in the first service, and this is a true story. But years ago, I was driving, and I was over, I was in Ashland, I was over on Cedar Street in Ashland, and the Holy Spirit, this might be weird to some of you, but the Holy Spirit impressed upon me, spoke to me, and said, I want you to reach out to this individual. And I had a picture of this person, kind of like on the windshield of my mind, not the car, praise the Lord. <laughs> And I didn't really know this person that well. I had met him once or twice. And, um, and I'm like, okay, I will. He's like, no, I want you to do it right now. I'm like, I'm driving. You know, so I'm, this is how I talk to God. I'm like, I'm driving right now, Lord. It's not a good time. Uh, and he's like, no, right now. So I pull over on a very busy road in Cedar Street. If you know, it's kind of twisting and winding. I find a little safe spot, put my hazard lights on. And then I'm looking. I'm like, I don't have his phone. I'm like, how am I going to do this? And so I did what every person does, the modern-day Rolodex. I look his name up on Facebook. And I find him, and that moment I DM him directly, something like this. Hey, hey, bro, this is Pastor Derek. I just want you to know I'm thinking about you. I'm actually praying for you at this moment. God has a purpose and plan for your life. And I sent it. Listen, we're hope dealers. We have no idea the impact that we could have on somebody's life. But in that very moment, he was in his garage. The garage door was shut. He had taken a pipe from his exhaust of his car and he put it into his car, closed the windows, and was preparing to, to commit suicide. And the phone was right beside him and it dinged and he saw a message from me. He got angry and he messaged his daughter, he called, not his daughter, his, his sister. He called his sister and said, did you tell that pastor about my situation? Because he was wrestling with depression. She said, no, I didn't. He doesn't know a thing from me. That is God trying to get your attention. And he walked away from that situation and he's alive today. Because we're hope dealers who listen to the Holy Spirit and we just do what he tells us to do. You don't know, you don't know how much a little thing can do for one person. So what hope is not? I'll tell you what hope is not. Hope is not wishful thinking. Blow out some candles and there's a Porsche outside at Christmas. No, it's not wishful thinking. Hope is not uh, blind optimism, okay? Where you just be, just be happy. Watch your problem. Just be happy, you know, where we pretend and we, we kind of, it's a facade of faith, but it's not real. And, 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 and the truth is you're really sick in your soul, but you're pretending on the outside that everything's okay. It's not that either. I saw a picture at a store uh, of a dog, and the dog was lost. Lost dog. <laughs> and I wrote this down. It said, it said, blind in right eye, left ear torn off, missing a leg, and was recently castrated, and answers to the name Lucky. I don't care how optimistic you are, that dog ain't lucky. Come on, somebody, turn to your neighbor and say, that dog ain't lucky, okay? <laughs> so there's different symptoms. Some, some think it's a, a, an ambitious goal or a dream. It's not that either. 
Webster doesn't have the best definition, but God does. Here's a biblical definition. Hope is a confident expectation based on something solid. Hope is a confident expectation based on something. It's not pie in the sky. It has basis to it. There's substance to it. It's an intangible with the tangible. It's like in sports. Uh, back in the day when the Patriots were winning all the time, I can remember where well, we could be losing in the first half, but you guys know this to be true because you're, you're, you're fans. Uh, we just knew we were going to win in the second half. We just knew it because we had Tom Brady and Gronk back in the day, right? We just knew that we were going to win. That's, that's an imperfect but similar characteristic. And I believe as Christians, we should be living this way. We live with that confident expectation and that hope and that basis on something solid. It's not pie in the sky. It's not wishful thinking. It's, our faith is not based on a myth or fairy tales. Our faith is based on the word of God. Our faith is based on the promises of God, the prophecies of God that have already been fulfilled. And thousands upon thousands of people over thousands of years now have been standing. That's what we use as a phrase. I'm standing on the word of God. Right? That's what hope is. It's based on the word of God. Hebrews 11.1 1 says it like this. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not what? see. What we do not see. Can't be based on that. It's not. We don't see to believe. We believe to see as Christ followers in Jesus' name. So what happens is the world tries to tell us that hope is something they do, but actually so, hope is something you have. Hope is something you possess. It's not something you do. It's a mis misnomer. David said it like this in Psalm 71, 14. He said, uh, but as for me, I will always have hope. And notice you have it. You don't do it. You tracking with this teaching, everybody? Somebody need to slap your face. Like, yeah, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. How, so the question is, how do you have it? The best question is, how do you have it? So I want to give you some practical Christianity on how do you have hope. We've defined it now. Now how do we have it? And the Bible uses an analogy. It uses a kind of a picture. It calls hope an anchor for your soul. This is a, about a five-pound anchor. And I'm going to use this illustration throughout the rest of the message. But a five-pound anchor, this little thing, has the capacity to hold something thousands of pounds larger than it. In the natural, it doesn't make sense that something so small could actually stabilize, create a situation where that, that large boat is immovable. But an anchor, a five-pound anchor can do that. The question is how? You look at hope and you say, how could hope do that? Because hope is an anchor, and I'm going to unpack it for you as we go forward. Three anchors for your soul. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 says, We have, you can have it, this hope as an anchor for your soul. Firm and secure. See, an anchor is something solid. Hope is an anchor. It's something solid. When life is disorienting, when life causes you to drift, when you feel like you're in despair, your, this anchor, hope, holds you. It grabs hold of something else uh, also bigger than you. When you have this hope, when you have this anchor for your soul, you can say to the world and you can say to circumstances, there's nothing you can do. I, I cannot be sunk. Nothing can drown me anymore because I have hope. You can take this and you can take that, but I've got this. This boat ain't going anywhere. Are you with me, everybody? Okay, and so how do, we, how, does this, how do we get this anchor to work for us? Number one, write this down. Hope like an anchor requires you have trust. Trust. 
I'm going to trust that this five-pound anchor, when I put this down in the water, is going to hold this boat? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, it will. It's in the natural. Again, it doesn't make sense. But there's a certain certainty about the ability of an anchor to carry the weight or to carry the load. Derek, are you, are you serious? Like, are you sure this is going to work out? How do, you, how do you have hope in that? I'm just going to tell you in a nutshell, and I don't know to do it, how to do it another way, but you're going to have to come to a place if you're going to have hope as an anchor where you decide to trust. And this is where a lot of people miss it. Right at the outset, is it's just an inability. And God can't do it for you. This is your part, not God's part. God's part. You're going to have to decide to trust. You're going to have to take a certain uh, leap, as it were, uh, of faith to trust, to go all in. But what you will have if you do, what will be the condition of your life as a result of that, is you'll be solid as a rock. You'll be secure. You'll be immovable. You will be steady in every storm. And when the winds of life come and the torrent and all the, and all the currents of life try to pull you in a different direction, you're going to be solid because you put your trust in something else besides you. Are you with me, everybody? Trust is a must. Trust is a must. Turn to your neighbor and say, trust is a must. So there's a story of the man who we call the father of our faith. His name is Abraham. And the book of Romans references the Old Testament father of faith in Romans chapter 4. And it's referring to a story where God told Abraham and his wife, you're going to have a kid. Well, that's awesome. But the thing is, he was 100. And Sarah was 90. All right? So imagine you getting a word from the Lord that you're going to have a kid at 190, a promise from God, a blessing from God. That's how they looked at it back then. At 190, I wouldn't look at it as a kid as a blessing. Come on. I'd be like, Lord, that's a curse. <laughs> we need to talk. <laughs> I can give you some suggestions, but that's not how I see. But anyway, they, they weren't seeing that that way, but they were seeing the natural conditions of their physical bodies. Uh, and they're basically like, I don't know if you understand, Lord, but you know. You know, the fire ain't in the kitchen anymore like on that. You know what I mean? Like we kiss each other, a little kiss on the cheek, you know, here's a little flower. But yeah, that ain't going on right now in our life. Sarah apparently laughs at the whole situation. God gets the last laugh in the end. But here's <laughs> Romans 4.18. It says, against all hope, in other words, against all that the natural laws of man would say, Abraham in hope, everybody say in hope, <laughs> believed. Or you could say trusted. You could say trusted. So for you to kind of get to a place where you have that, that anchor for your soul and that hope, I tell you what, you're going to wrestle your mind. The battle's going to be in your mind. You're going to have to come to a place where you're going to have to wrestle the reasonings and the rationalizations of your mind. And that's where the battle's going to be won. That's where you're going to have to draw the line in the sand. That's where you're going to have to choose, no, I'm deciding something. I'm not going to let my feelings, my reasonings, or my rationales decide for me. That's why David said to himself, David was talking to himself in this verse. By the way, it's okay to talk to yourself as long as you don't talk back. That's when you start getting really <laughs> jacked up and weird, okay? Psalm 42.11, David's talking to himself. He says, hey, so why are you, why are you downcast? Why are you disturbed? Why are you depressed? Why are you in despair? Soul, why? Why are you like that? Why so disturbed? Put soul, put your hope in God. Can I have an amen? amen. Number two, write this down. For hope uh, to work in your life, to, for this anchor for your soul to be a reality, hope has to be anchored to something unseen. I want you to look at this stage like a water line. All right? The difference is, when you put an anchor in the, in the water, I can't see. I can't see what's happening down there. I'm going to have to put my anchor 
in something unseen. I'm going to ruin this table before it's all, all done. See, for you to have hope, you're going to have to embrace the unseen. The unseen. For you to have hope, you're going to have to place it somewhere where, in a sense, it disappears. See, God is not the God of the natural world only. He's the God of the unseen world. The unseen world. God is a spirit. All right? And you, you actually are a spiritual being having a human experience temporarily. So we get to learn how to live and trust in something we cannot see now because that's going to actually be the rest of our eternity. Are you with me, everybody? So all of a sudden, when you place this, you're, you're placing this into that unseen world. Some, you're placing it in, and putting trust in something else that, interestingly enough, grabs hold of you and is bigger than anything you could have or do. When this anchor goes into the water, it's going and grabbing something you cannot see. It grabs hold of your, of your ship and of your life. And the magnitude of what is beneath the surface is far greater than anything you have going on above the surface. In the same way that that's true in the natural, it's true in the spiritual. This is better than you're saying amen, everybody. So because the reason some of you don't experience this is because in your faith, you're not making room. For the unseen. Some of you don't have this hope because you're not making room for the unseen. Man, it is a quiet Catholic church this morning. Here's what's happening is Christians want a Christianity they can control. I, I like this church. I, li I, like, I like the coffees in the lobby. I like climate control, comfortable seats. I like that worship. Man, that is good. Those are volunteers. Wow. I like that Pastor D. He's pretty funny, pretty clever. But don't talk to me about all that supernatural stuff. Wow. Let me tell you something. You're never going to have an anchor for your soul until you embrace the unseen. It won't happen. You better get comfortable with the unseen world if you're going to have any kind of protection in this world that we live in right now. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, for our, Paul speaking, for he, a little bit later on now in his life, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory. By the way, he's referencing all the tough times you're going through, and he calls them light and momentary troubles. <laughs> Bugs on the windshield, everybody. That's my paraphrase. He says, they're achieving for us a glory that far aways them all. You're going to grow up. You're going to get stronger. So how do you do it? We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen the whole secret to overcoming light and momentary troubles that you're facing right now is not to fix your eyes on what is seen but to fix your eyes on what is unseen because when you put your anchor into the unseen world you are it is grabbing hold of you and it is giving you something more than you could ever have on your own and he says for what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal and you do this in other areas of your life most of you in this room have put your trust in the greatest hope of all your eternal security. The unseen, the unseen place you've never been. But a lot of you have or say you have the confidence that when you draw your last breath and you go from this life to that life, that you're going to be in a place that you can't see. That you're confident in. You're going to live there for all eternity. But somehow you have confidence in that eternity, but you don't have confidence in your temporary situation that God can be involved in that and be an anchor for your soul. And that's a deception of the enemy that's keeping you from hope in hopeless situations. Can I have an amen? But God said to his disciples, I'm preparing a place for you. We call that the blessed hope. That's the hope of heaven. My daddy just passed from this life to the next life. 
And I just want you to know, first of all, because of hope, I don't grieve like the rest of the world does. Because I didn't say goodbye to my dad. I said, see you later. Right after he left, I was right there, and I said, I'll see you later, pops. I'll see you later. I have that hope. God wants you to have that hope in all areas of your life. Here's my third point. This is a good message. Praise the Lord. Hope is found in a relationship with God. Hope is found in relationship. See, the most impressive part about hope is not the anchor. The most impressive part is not this. It's the connection because of the anchor. See, this is effective. It has a, it's a tool. It has a part to play in the whole thing. But it's only effective, it's only useful if it actually grabs hold of something and also is connected to you. The real power of the anchor to your soul is in the relationship that you have. It's dependent upon, exclusively dependent on really the relationship you have. And this is where religion has lied to a bunch of you, to a bunch of us. That, that, that we, come, we come to church and sometimes we're told, if you do this and if you do that, it's going to be okay. You're going to feel okay. Everything's going to begin to go okay. And it's not based in what you do. It's not based in something you do. It's based in something you have. It's not a religious behavior. It's a relationship that you have personally with Jesus Christ. Are you with me, everybody? Real hope doesn't come in religion. Real hope comes in relationship. And when you have that connection, the Bible says in Romans 15, 13, then may God, the source of hope. Who's the source? The anchor? No. God is the source of hope. Come on, say that with me. God is my source of hope. He says, when you have that, you'll be filled. He will fill you. He will fill you with joy and with peace. That's what everybody needs right now. The reason it's not the most beautiful time of the year is because people don't have, they've lost their joy. They don't have real peace. They're looking for circumstantial peace, but God has peace that's like a river, not like a pond. Where everything on the outside is perfect. No, he wants you to be all right on the inside, everybody. He wants you to have real peace. He wants to fill you with joy and real peace. And then when you have that relationship, the Bible says, then you will overflow with hope. Now you can be a hope dealer to other people because you can't even contain it by yourself. I can't contain it by myself right now. So listen, when you stand on your feet, I want to, I'm going to read two scriptures to you, and I want to say this to you. How do you know if you have real hope? How do you know if you have? How do you know if you have an anchor for your soul, Pastor Derek? Because when, when, not if, when hell breaks out, when the challenges come, when the trials come, your ship, your boat, your life is steady. It's immovable unshakable all kinds of stuff can be going wrong doesn't mean you won't have some bad days some tough days storms stink they're tough no matter I got an anchor for my soul one of the symptoms of hope that I studied in the Bible is in a nutshell is rest I tell my wife this the other day there's a di- one of my YouTube studies there's a difference between sleep and rest look it up they're totally different Rest is a disposition. Sleep is a position. It's a disposition of your soul. David said, find rest, O my soul. How? In God alone. My hope comes from him. There's a place that God wants to take you where you don't have to work so hard. 
I went to Alaska in 2019 and I discovered uh, that the capital for eagles was in that, that state. I never saw a bald eagle up until that point. When we went there, I saw one, two, three. I probably saw over 100 bald eagles when I was there. I just fascinated by this bird. But when I contrast what the Bible says about this bird and what well, the bird I've seen a lot more often, which is chickens. <laughs> seen a lot of chickens in my day. Eating a lot of chicken. But I was reading this verse, and this whole thing popped for me, and I hope this connects with you. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, it says, But those, everybody say those. Only those, it could say, but those who hope in the Lord, those who hope in God, will renew their strength. When you feel weak, you get, you get strong, and you get stronger every time. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. These are the symptoms of hope. I told you the bad symptoms of hopelessness, but the symptoms of hope is you, you can run. You, you, and you won't get tired. You can walk and you won't quit. You'll just keep, life comes at, bam, you just keep on walking. You know what I mean? Something happens, something comes against you. Man, you can still keep running. You're just gonna, you can keep going on uphill because, because you have hope. But some of you have been like chickens. You've been flapping your wings so hard and you get tired. And you get weary and well-doing. And some of you just want to quit because you're living at a different level. Because you're trusting your chickens are trusting in their own strength. But eagles, they rely on something else. They rely on thermal winds. My daddy taught me this. But basically, in relationship, you find, you know, a little bit of help. And then you begin to pull above your circumstances and above the fray and above all the things that are happening down here. Once you get up to that height, not only do you have good vision, because eagles have the best vision. Some of your problems are a perspective problem, and God wants you to live like an eagle where you can see your problems in the right light. But when you get to that new height, God provides for you as an eagle thermal winds. And you know what eagles do? They just soar. They're not working so hard. Some of you, you're living like a chicken. You're not living like an eagle. With every head bowed, every eye closed, let me pray for you. Sir, ma'am, boy, or girl in this room, and even listening online, do you have an anchor for your soul? For some of you, this message, it hits home. Because there are situations in your life and there are circumstances in your life where you feel hopeless. If that's you today, the Holy Spirit, is this, he customized this message just for you. And he wants to provide hope in a hopeless situation. And only relationship with God can do that. Only embracing the unseen, only transferring trust from you to him can make that a reality. And maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you've come to church a long, long time, but you might be going through the motions. You might be unconsciously or consciously drifting from God, very, very far from God. Today is your day to come close to God. Today is your day to take you off the throne of your life and put Jesus on the throne. Listen, today, don't just make him Savior. Make him Lord of your life. Give him, give him leadership of your life. That's what lordship means, leadership. And if that's you today and you want to make Jesus the Savior and Lord of your life, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want you to just raise your hand, Pastor, I don't want to leave today without knowing that I'm okay with God, that I'm in right standing with God, that I'm in relationship with God. Good and high, just raise it right now. I want to pray for you. All over the room. Good and high. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. God sees your hand. So do I. One, two, three, four, five, six. Thank you, Jesus. Seven. Thank you. Eight. Nine hands. Ten hands over there. All the way in the back. Eleven hands. Twelve hands. Thank you, honey. Thank you so much for your decisions. Thank you for your courage. 
God bless you, God. But you can put your hands down. I want to I wanna pray together. And some of you have already made this decision a long time ago. You put your hope and your trust in God. And it's going to be renewed even through this prayer. But would you pray with those people that just raised their hand? And those of you that just raised your hand, I want you to say this from your heart. I want you to confess this with your mouth. I want you to say, Jesus. Come on, everybody join them. Say, Jesus, I make you the anchor of my life. I choose today to transfer trust from me to you. I choose today to embrace the unseen, knowing that there is a strength and there is a weight to carry all the weight that I am carrying by myself. I place it on you. Today, I come into relationship with you. By grace through faith, I receive what Jesus did for me. Save me today. And I make you Lord of my life today in Jesus' name. Father, for every person who prayed that prayer, seal it right now. I pray they have a certainty that if they were to draw their last breath, the Lord, they would be absent from the body, they would be present from the Lord. We thank you for eternal security. But I also ask you, Lord, for the temporary confidence because they have hope, God, in the middle of all these dark and difficult situations. They can have an anchor for their soul. Can I have an amen from this church? Can we give God the biggest praise? Come on, can we exalt Him? Come on, let's worship Him, all the earth.